You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 104. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show. I am so thankful you are here and thank you for listening. This weekend marked our passing of the 2 million download mark for The Lively Show, and I cannot believe I am saying the word two and million in the same sentence along with The Lively Show. Thank you so much for listening and sharing this show. It means so much to me. I put so much of my heart, time, and soul into this, and it is so wonderful to hear how much you are enjoying the show as well. Today's episode is a special one for me. It is perhaps the one where I have learned the most. Today we're talking with Dylan D. Giovanni of Dylan-DGiovanni.com. Dylan's a health coach who helps busy people and companies thrive. And in his mid-30s, he transitioned his gender identity. Today's episode, we're going to be speaking about that transition, what it was like, why he did it, and how he thrived before, during, and after that transition, which is kind of an unusual story to hear when it comes to stories of identity and sexuality and transition. There's a lot of times the media focuses on the extremely painful or negative experiences of these individuals, but Dylan's story is different. In addition, Dylan's also going to be super patient with me as I ask all of the very beginner questions of a cisgendered individual that I am. I didn't even know what the word cisgender was until he told me about it. I'm very excited about this new opportunity to connect with people who identify as transgender, but I've also been nervous about saying the wrong thing, using the wrong language, or somehow inadvertently offending someone. I'm likely not the only person who feels this way, and so I wanted Dylan to help communicate and educate myself and those who are listening who are interested in learning more about the language and the complexities around this subject so that we all can communicate better. In addition, Dylan's going to discuss the aspects of the transgender communities that he believes the media is not fully capturing. Though the transgender communities are getting a lot of attention in the media, it's not necessarily a complete look at this experience, and I'm so excited for Dylan to share his point of view. Let's go to the show. Dylan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. I am so excited to share you, your story, and your advice and information for us today. So let's get started with your background. Tell us how you got to where you are. From a career perspective, I started teaching. I started teaching eighth grade in my early 20s and then left teaching. I quit my career just three months shy of tenure. So I walked away from guaranteed career because of an identity issue. I was actually afraid to be myself at work. Then I worked full-time in health food stores and got like a really great background in that. Then I thought that wasn't a real job, so I needed to have a real job. And I moved from New Jersey to Boston to work at a nonprofit where I did kind of adult program directing stuff and curriculum. And then in 2009, I was not working. Maybe I'll do something else. And I had had really bad adult acne in my late 20s, and somebody helped me clear it up. She was going to a school, a nutrition school. And I called her in 2009 and I was like, hey, remember when you made my acne go away? What was that school you went to? And I ended up enrolling to become a health coach and thought I would just keep that job that I had and then do this part-time health coaching thing. But then within six months of graduating, I was let go from that job that I had. I had only ever been this really great employee. 
But I just took it as a sign. Pretty much the night before I was let go, I said, I wish someone would give me $10,000 to start my business. And the next day I was let go and my severance was $13,000. Oh my gosh. What a... (laughs) I know. I put it in a savings account. I was like, here we go. And then six years later, I'm still doing it. That's amazing. So how about personally? What's your background and how you got to where you are now? Let's see. Because I'm from New Jersey. I don't know. I was doing my thing from New Jersey. Um, (laughs) I guess I came out as a queer female. So not not a lesbian, I guess a lesbian in my early 20s. I'm going to ask a lot of questions in this episode. And you've already given me your blessing to ask a lot of questions. So what is the difference between a lesbian and a queer? Queer, queer. Is it a a queer? I don't even think that's the term. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes we use it interchangeably. It's more of like a an adjective, like a queer person. It's it's an identity. It's a sexual orientation that a lot of people claim. It's basically not in the box of lesbian or gay, which can be associated with men, like gay men, lesbian women, and bisexual. So if you're not one of those three and you're just like, I date whoever for whatever reason, who cares? Then it's just like queer. It's like an umbrella term. Oh, I would have thought that would be bisexual. Yeah, well, that doesn't take into account different orientations. So like, for instance, polyamory. What is that? Polyamory is when folks date a few people at once. There's a lot. There's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot of letters (laughs) in that alphabet. We think it's just the LGBTQ, but it really goes on kind of like the the, the number pi, you know, like the letters kind of (laughs) go on infinity, things that I don't even know. So yeah, I was claiming queer because I didn't feel confidently like I'm a lesbian, but I couldn't understand why. And it took me another, I guess, 12 years or so to get to the conclusion that I was transgender, which was why I never felt solidly as a lesbian, because that's like a very female identified term. And I didn't feel like a female, but I didn't know any other transgender people. Kind of like you only have chocolate ice cream and you think, God, this is the best ice cream flavor in the whole freaking world. And then someone's like, have you had mint chip? And you're like, what? I didn't even know that existed. And you're like, that is absolutely the better flavor. It's kind of like that. I didn't even know it existed as an identity. So it came about by moving to Boston from New Jersey in 2009 and seeing this much wider spectrum of people identifying sexual orientation wise. Whereas in from New Jersey, it was pretty much you were either gay guy or a lesbian woman. Those were your options. And then in Boston, it was like anything goes for gender presentation, people wearing all kinds of different clothes and haircuts and clothing styles. And I was like, whoa, this is amazing, right? So then it took another few years to kind of figure out where do I fit into this? Like, is this real? I'm actually surprised. As I was telling you before, I read Middlesex in college, which is more of a hermaphrodite, but I just kind of thought maybe people that were transgender felt like they were born in the wrong body. Is that incorrect? Is that not how your experience was, at least for yourself? It's a really common narrative that is very common in, and I just said this recently in my TEDx talk. I just did a TEDx talk last last weekend or two weeks ago. Congratulations. Thank you. I said, that's how I opened. It's a very common narrative of transgender people saying I was born in the wrong body and I was trapped. I didn't feel that way my whole life. I went to Catholic school and I just didn't understand why I couldn't wear the, sh- the pants and the ties that the boys wear. It was like, am I the only one that wants to wear the tie and the pants? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll wear the skirt. Like, I didn't feel like the skirt was like a straight jacket, but it was more like, I just wanted to rip the ties off of their necks and like put them on. But it was like, that can't be right, right? There must be something wrong with me. So I just buried that feeling. And it wasn't until in my mid-30s when I learned that that's like a real thing that people feel and it's a legitimate thing, it was like all of a sudden 
you know, like in a movie where the person in the movie like suddenly gets the information that they've needed throughout the whole film and then they do like the montage and it's like, like that's how my life like went. All of a sudden I was like, oh my God, that's why I had, you know, meltdowns in the dressing room when I was 14. Although a lot of female body people probably do I've done that too. (laughs) I just didn't want to wear the bathing suit, but I couldn't express why I didn't want to. That's fascinating. So tell us a story of when you had that moment that came after. Well, one moment sparked it. When I graduated from health coaching school, I was doing what people call male identified. So I was like male identified. I was wearing shirts and pants and ties as a way to be like, this is what I feel comfortable wearing. And people were cool about it, but they were kind of like, okay, so you're a lesbian that wears men's clothes. We always want to put people in boxes. And I, I, I did a lot of research in my graduate degree the past few years to understand why do we do that? And it's that we're actually programmed to do that as humans, our brains need to sort and categorize from a place of feeling safe. And also so they can safely communicate with the other person in a way that won't offend them. We had a 20 minute conversation before this, just so that I could make sure what I was sharing was not going to accidentally be the wrong thing to say. So maybe is there part of this wanting to put people in boxes, not to feel safe for themselves personally, but also to not walk on any toes accidentally? I'm, I'm sure that's a huge motivator for most people. I think that a lot of people don't assume that people have the best intentions. I myself didn't for a long time. I was constantly coming from fear and constantly only perceiving and looking for threats from people. One of the major things I've learned from transitioning is that people mostly have the best intentions. Now, depending on different identities, We hear a lot in the news about transgender women of color being hurt and killed even. As a white person who is perceived as male, I'm going to have a different experience moving through the world because of the privilege that men have in our society. Does that make sense? Yes. But ultimately, I mean, I do think people are very curious. And you're right. I think that they don't say for fear of insulting. And it's tricky. And it's like, how do you get the information out to people so that they feel that they have the fluency of the language? So like you used the word hermaphrodite, which might have been used in the book. And as our language has evolved... Is that wrong too now? <laughs> well, it's our, our language has evolved, right? Just, you know, smartphones evolve. But the word uh, that folks are using more now is intersex. Okay. So what was the moment exactly where you had this like da-da-da-da-da oh, yeah, all yeah. right after yeah, yeah. that? So I'm wearing, you know, men's clothing, right? And I'm like on stage and the director of the school sent me a message on Facebook and he's like, great job. You're going to be so successful as a health coach. Next step is to drop. And then he used my birth name. He's like, drop that. Like, wait, what? He's basically telling me like, it's time to change your name. My response to that was very like reactive. Like, what do you, what do you mean? But there was also a voice in me that was like, he's right. I had had a girlfriend just that year before, who was like, I can't call you that name. That's not who you are. So all of a sudden, these people, for the first time in my life, I'm like, what, 30-something years old, these people are suddenly saying this to me. And may not our name is like synonymous with who we are. I wasn't like, how dare you say that? It was more just like, wow, that's really true. (laughs) And I went on this journey to like figure out a new name. So I will say that one of the things that people often do when a transgender person shares that They'll instantly say, oh, what was your name before? I will just say more people will prefer if you don't ask them that question. Why? 
I can say for myself, one, it doesn't matter because this is who I am now and this is how I want to be called. I think there is a fear that if we share what was before, that you'll accidentally call us that and it will out us. How will it out us? That's a fascinating way of putting it. I I keep thinking in analogies. Is it okay if I keep thinking in analogies? Yeah, absolutely. So it's like, let's pretend that I'm with somebody and I tell you that I was with somebody else over the weekend and then we're hanging out with the other person and you're like, oh, so did you hear from so-and-so? And And you're like, no one's supposed to know about that. Maybe I don't understand this. Let's just say your name was Sarah. Okay. If you shared that with someone, but previously it was Sarah. Yep. And then they find out you're Dylan, but then they slip sometime. Does that make you feel like then everyone else knows that you weren't born Dylan and who we see you now is not who you were previously? Exactly. And for some people who are out as transgender, it may or may not bother them. What you just said is fascinating. Out as transgender. Like you have to be out public about your transgender identity. Right. Some people are not. Some people transition and they totally pass as the other gender and they only want people to think that they are that gender. Oh. They don't want anyone to know that there was a anything else. I know you were mentioning some statistics to me earlier. Do you have any idea how many people prefer to be identified as transgender versus just making the transition and not sharing that information? Uh, no. No. The term, what is, the term is stealth. They're going stealth, like under the radar, you know? And how is that perceived in the transgender community? In the communities, and I'll, and I'll say, I say communities because... Yeah, this is like a whole new language I know. lesson I mean, for and me. This is, and this is for <laughs> me, like every time I hear Caitlyn Jenner speaks to the transgender community or thank, you know, the person who just won the Emmy, like, you know, Jeffrey Tambor, like, thanked the transgender community. It's not like we're all sitting in a room together, like, we're best friends. We're not, you know, it it would be like saying the female community. Well, I think they do that to all the time. Right, it's true. And the male community, (laughs) exactly. Even though that, like, makes no sense. They're speaking to women or they're speaking, yeah. Exactly. What do people think? Uh, There is this kind of under, well, I guess, again, my opinion is that there's like a duality. On one hand, there's like a respect for that. Like, you do you, like, do it the way you need to. And there is also this kind of gentle pressure to be out, to have visibility because the more visibility there is, then there's strength in numbers to demand rights. Because as I'm sure you can imagine, just like gay marriage recently became a thing. (laughs) Finally. (laughs) I mean, transgender rights are so far behind even that. So actually, that's a question. So what are the transgender rights that need to happen? To be honest, I, I can't even speak to it. I mean, there's some people who you know, have their career studying that and focusing on that. It's not it's not a fluency I have. Yeah. But is there certain things that aren't available to people who identify as transgender? Sure. Like we were talking about some people and we can get into this in a second, but um, uh, don't have the access to be able to transition in a way that they either look male or female. If they try to go into a bathroom, like for instance, if a transgender woman still has a beard and tries to go into the ladies room, chaos ensues, right? Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, so like that. If something happens to someone going into the bathroom, the police will not protect them. And again, I don't have really great fluency on this, so I don't I don't want to speak too much about it because I can't really speak too intelligently as well as other people can, but and another thing would be like if I was fired because of my identity, I have no protection. If I didn't get an apartment because I was out as transgender, I couldn't prove that and do anything about it. 
Thank you for that. Now that marriage is legalized for everyone, I was just thinking like, what else could there be? But obviously, these are some important scenarios to consider. Yeah. So can I ask you what went into picking Dylan as your name? Um, is that okay to ask? Even if I'm not asking what your sure. previous name was? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I got to imagine it's kind of fun to pick your own to name. To rename yourself. <laughs> yeah. I, to be honest, I w- really, really loved the television show Friday Night Lights at the time. <laughs> And I really, really loved it. And I was like, well, I want to make it a little bit more me. And so they spell it with an O in the show, and I made it with an A. And is your last name the same? Yes. Okay. So how's your family accepted or gone through this process with you? They haven't made the jump with me. I had a feeling that they wouldn't really be on board. We were kind of estranged. I mean, starting back with like my decision to be a vegetarian when I was in my 20s, you know, like they were like, we don't know where you came from. (laughs) So we were already kind of estranged. So when I made this decision, I kind of knew they would not be behind me. And so I haven't really spoken to most of them probably in about six years. So what are the steps that you took or some of the steps people may take to make this transition? Great question. It really depends on the person. It really depends on what that person wants to show to the world. Because gender really is about how we present ourselves to the world and how we're perceived. It's how we identify on the inside, but it's also what we show, like the clothes that we wear, that kind of stuff. Um, What we play with, what we do. So like gender is like, you know, trucks are for boys and Barbies are for girls and pink and blue. Like that's how we get gender. It depends on how that person wants to show that to the world. Then it also depends on what access they have to make that possible. A lot of transgender people, maybe as many as 70%, live below the poverty line. And a lot of the medical and surgical and even therapy you know, to be able to make the decision to move through the world as a different person, they're not covered for most people by insurance. So it's an out-of-pocket expense ranging from like $4,000 to like $100,000 to like surgically change your body and hormones and stuff like that. And that's changing. A lot of the lobbying or activism that's done is to get that stuff covered by insurance companies as a legal right. Not like, oh, you feel this way, you're weird, take care of it yourself, which is what it's been up up until this point. Some of the steps that they might take is, like I said, well, I can say for myself, like, first I changed my name, and then legally, and I had to go through the court system and provide documentation, my birth certificate, like all of that stuff. And depending on where someone lives, that can be a really agonizing process. For instance, the Kim Davis thing. This woman who was down, I think, in Kentucky, she was the court clerk that wouldn't grant the gay marriage. It was all over the news and everything. You know, it can be the law. But then you run into a character who's a, who's a gatekeeper who's like, it's a religious objection or whatever. So depending on that, that can be a really big, intense process. For me, it was pretty easy living in Massachusetts. Just changing clothes, like sometimes people will just feel comfortable just changing the way they dress or changing their haircut. Some people will have surgeries, either called top surgery or bottom surgery for altering their body. They might take hormones. I take hormones. I do a weekly injection of testosterone to, and that changed my voice. And it also changed, it like basically puts me through male puberty. Yeah. You were saying you're three years in to puberty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's so it like? I went through puberty and menopause, like at the same time <laughs> at 35 <laughs> and 36 years old. So like I'm in some ways like physiologically like 19, a 19 year old boy and like a 37 year old woman at the same time. <laughs> It's crazy. So what is puberty like at 37? What is it like at 37? Like, because your voice is deep. It's not high. I don't know. I was just curious on... Yeah, my voice is very different. If you go back and I have videos on YouTube, you see like how different, like my face changed, like the muscles in my face 
like down in my jaw got thicker. So like literally changed the shape of my face. When you see the changes happening, does it all reinforce the decision? Yes, it's so surreal, though. (laughs) It's like the old person is like dead, but I'm still alive walking through the world. Yeah. Does it feel like two different lives? Yes. It's like I feel like a science fiction film every day of my life. (laughs) Before our call, I was worried that I was going to cross the line. So I had to have you check over all my questions to make sure I wasn't going to say something accidentally ignorant or cruel or mean or step on anyone's toes. And I am terrified of doing that because obviously I don't know the rules or the right or wrongs. I've just learned 17 new words from you just in this conversation (laughs) in the last 22 minutes. I don't know. I'm just going to have to re-listen to the show to like remember it all. I would love for you to share what are the do's and don'ts of talking to a transgender person? Well, I listed one. And, you know, well, it's hard to say because it's going to depend on the person. Some people are going to be really reactive. They're going to be very angry. You see these lists on BuzzFeed like, do this, don't say this, do this, don't say that. And it's like incites all this fear. Yeah, I'm scared. (laughs) I'm sure. And I know you're not alone. What I've done, I've made the conscious decision to be someone who's more like middle of the road to be accessible and relatable to help bring people along. As far as do's and don'ts, I mean, you can think about what would you ask or not ask anyone that you just met compared to somebody that you had a relationship, like a deep friendship with. So like you wouldn't walk up to a stranger on the street and be like, so how big is your penis? Or like, what size bra do you wear? You know, like you wouldn't do that. So if someone's like, hey, I'm transgender, you wouldn't instantly jump in with these like uber personal questions. Those are questions that are far off of my own radar. (laughs) I was thinking of like, what do you call the person? Let's go into, is it okay to say you're a transgender person? Yes. Yeah. It's like an adjective or someone who is transgender. Think of it like male, female, like, you know, a guy, a woman, a transgender person. But if someone was stealth, then they would say that they are just whatever they've transitioned to. Right. Yep. Okay. And I think, you know, if you meet someone and they out themselves to you and they say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm trans or whatever, you could be like, oh, wow, that's interesting. (laughs) Isn't that going to sound judgmental if you just say the word interesting? No, because people, I mean, people know we're rare. I think there's like 700,000 of of us, you know, that's not a lot of people. My best advice is to say, that's really interesting. I, I've never met anybody. Like, just be authentic. I've never met anybody who is. I have so many questions. Would you be comfortable if I asked you some questions? Ooh, that's a good one. And then the person can be like, not really, no. Or they could be like, yeah, sure, <laughs> go ahead. You had said before you used to be more sensitive to these answers and questions and the way people presented information or questions to you. And now you've chosen to take a different approach. What went into that? I realized that being angry was taking a toll on me and it was also limiting my ability to impact other people. You know, I chose teaching as my first career for a reason, right? And I I just came around, like I just got more mature. I think in the beginning, it was so difficult for me because the whole experience was so raw. I was basically killing off a person and then losing my family. The relationship I was in at the time was not good. It was too much trauma and too much loss for me to feel open and coming from abundance because because I had nothing to give. I was like disappearing. And I think when I healed, I was through kind of the worst of it and I made peace with everything. That's when I felt like, okay, now I have something to share. It's a new thing and people don't get it. And why should they go around in the dark? I mean, them knowing more and feeling more competent only brings us all forward. I love what you said that you were feeling afraid or angry before. And that's where that perhaps for certain people's hostility or judgment is coming from? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think it's about expectations. Having expectations for people where they are or where they should be is really unfair and it doesn't work. 
because people are where they are. It's just the way things are. I mean, I didn't even know I was this thing because I wasn't exposed to it. So having expectations that people are going to have a fluency or a competency, if they're in a bubble and they've never been exposed to something, just like the ice cream thing, it's like, why make them feel like crap just because they haven't been exposed to something? You had mentioned a few times that it's almost like there was a death or your science experiment or whatever you had shared yeah. it as. How do you look back on your life as a identified female now from where you are? You know, it's, it's weird because on one hand, that person is obsolete, but that person is also totally integrated into who I am. I feel pretty much the same. I just don't have a size 38C chest anymore. <laughs> I, I had a surgery that reconstructed my chest to look just like a like a biological male chest. It's weird to look in the mirror and see that, but it's also awesome. I felt okay. I mean, I felt happy, but there was a restlessness. There was a, a discontented feeling that I couldn't put my finger on. And now I just feel like that's, that feeling is just not there anymore. And I don't know if being transgender was what solved it or finding my ideal career is what solved it. Just maturing. You know, I think it might've been all of those things. Having been on both sides of the gender divide, what are the main similarities and the differences between the sexes in society and personally? Such a great question. And it is so fun to be able to tell you my experience. Again, totally generalizing. One thing that's super funny is how different men are with men and women. Really? Oh my God. Maybe it was because I was a queer identified female. I tried to do the girly thing. I really, really did. I was not successful with it. <laughs> <laughs> but I was an attractive female. You know, some guys did hit on me. I tried to have some boyfriends. It just didn't really work. But the way they would engage with me versus how they engage with me now that they think I'm a dude, men are completely different. How so? I think that there is incredible pressure on men to perform and behave in ways that completely deprive them of their authentic identity. Men talk and are more deep and more vulnerable than women realize. Basically, everyone's not being themselves. Everyone's trying to fit into these boxes in society. You know, men will be like, oh, women don't communicate. Women will be like, men don't communicate. No one's communicating with anybody. <laughs> are the men communicating more with each other than they are with the women or vice versa? Yes, a large part, men want to communicate with women, but women shut them down. Women make fun of them. Women tell them that they like tell them what to think, tell them what to feel, tell them how to be. You're not a man because you're not doing this. The men are like, they don't know what to say. Women think that they don't have a lot of power, but they really do. How so? Because they're just shutting down the men in the communication realm? Yeah. In a lot of ways, they are. Like men are trying to communicate. I think in general, people just don't know how to commu communicate with each other. Men do talk to each other because there's this, I think everyone kind of shrinks with these expectations of performance, like the performance of gender. Like women are supposed to behave this way. Men are supposed to behave this way. And now I watch people because like in a way, I feel like I'm in, I'm in costume and people don't really know that I lived for three and a half decades as a woman. So I bring that view and a feminist view to everything I do and every environment I'm in. So for instance, can I give you an example, maybe? Absolutely. I'm at this party, and this woman, very attractive female, is getting progressively more intoxicated. So then it moves into, oh, I'm going to sit on these guys' laps. I'm going to take pictures and selfies with them. So I'm watching this performance of like, this is how women sometimes get attention to feel validated. 
then the guys are sitting there. I watch them like they, I could, because I was looking for it. They're like, they don't know what to do with her because she's like sitting on them. And he's like, oh, I'm supposed to say something because I'm supposed to like this. And you could watch the guy's face transform where he was uncomfortable because he didn't want to touch her. But then he was like, oh, wait, but I'm supposed to because I'm supposed to like this. You know what? Does this make sense? So really, that person is uncomfortable with this woman sitting on his lap, but he's pretending that he's welcoming it because he thinks that's what he should do. Yes. Rather than like an authentic, hey, you know, I don't really know you. Then maybe this isn't the way we should be interacting <laughs> with each other. But no one actually says that because they think that they're not supposed to do that. This is fascinating. So how do you communicate? Do you communicate the same as you did before or differently now that you've made the gender switch? Okay, how do you do it now? I do communicate the same way. Oh, you do it the same way as you did before? I communicate the same way with people who I'm very comfortable with and who I'm out as transgender. If I'm in an environment where I'm not quite sure that it's safe to be out as transgender, I will go into like what I call like my dude mode. Like I don't live under this threat, like this constant threat, like walking around the street every day. It's not like I walk out my front door and say, everyone's out to get me and hurt me. But sometimes I'll be in a situation like if I get out of the car to pay for gas or something and there's a guy there, I don't know what his comfort level is with transgender people. So I'm just going to be like, yeah, hey, what's going on? Blah, blah, blah. And just like, he's like, yeah, hey, dude, whatever, dude, you know. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to get in my car and just drive away. I will amp up the dude. Whereas with other people, I'm just kind of just more me. Yeah. Do you feel like you communicate differently because of your female experience or not? Do I talk more than other guys kind of thing? I don't know. I'm just curious if there is any difference. I don't really even know. I was at a leader. I was at a leadership <laughs> development thing. I got up to the microphone. I was talking to the woman and she started chastising me. And she's like, you know, how old are you? And I was like, I was 35. She's like, is that how a 35 year old man stands, you know, and presents himself at the microphone? <laughs> and I went... <laughs> 600 people. I was like, I, I'm new to this. This is six months old for me. I don't know. Am I doing it right? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I remember that as part of Middlesex, he mentions in the book that he started to walk differently. Do you feel like you carry your body differently in the world now? I do. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think it's easier to be a guy in the world or a female? Because obviously, there is a societal expectation that at least in the US, a white male is supposed to be all the luxuries. Is it or not? I would say, I would use the term privileges, where you said luxuries, like privileges. Yeah, getting a lot of access. Getting a lot of access to things, opportunities. Um, absolutely. I have to be mindful of that. In a way, women get access in different ways. Again, we, are we have to talk about race, gender, right? Like a socioeconomic class. We have to always be thinking of all of those things when we have these conversations. See, I never really experienced sexism. I think more feminine cisgender women experience things that I didn't because I was more of like a tomboyish girl. I never got hit on. I never got chastised. Like I, I see women writing on Facebook about things that happened to them on the subway. That, that stuff never happened to me. I never got catcalled. I never got, I never had that, that experience. What are the privileges that you get now because people identify you as male? Well, it's tricky because if they think I'm male, that's different than if I'm in a setting where I'm out as transgender or someone outs me it completely changes the game. It completely changes the experience. How does it change it? People get weird when they figure out you're trans because they don't know what to say. Yeah, because they're worried about stepping on your toes and hurting your feelings or offending you. So on one hand, it's like a compromise. I can go into a party and if I'm passing, people are going to interact with me a certain way. That's the term, passing. Passing, yeah. They think I'm just a dude. They're going to interact with me a certain way and I have to compromise or say, am I going to tell them I'm trans or not? Which begs the question, 
do people need to know? Yeah, I was just going to say, do you feel like you need to? But I guess you are identified as transgender. And you said that the stealth people are trying to hide that fact. Yeah. Are you transgender or are you male? Or is it both or right. neither? I, you know, I really sat with this question because people kept trying to mail me. Like they were like, dude, you know, like you're a dude, you're a dude. I'm, I'm actually not. I'm actually not. There are marked differences between me and biological cisgender men. And I came around to feeling really confident. I'm actually a transgender person. I'm a, I'm a unique thing. And I'm happy about it. And I don't know if we've really gone into this privilege stuff, though. But what is the good stuff that the guys get treated differently with? Do you make more money now? Obviously, we've heard a lot about the socioeconomic pay scale differences. What might be an advantage for the males that you can say as being both <laughs> you've really seen firsthand? I don't know if I can answer that question because I'm out in my career so if I'm getting paid, it's with the knowledge that I'm, yeah, because I'm out as trans. I mean, I could say to you, like, I have more confidence now because I feel more confident in who I am. So I'm more assertive about asking for what I want and what I need. For instance, I just got a new apartment and I was terrified that I was going to be rejected because I sent them my website as proof of my identity. And on the front page, it says that I'm transgender. So I was like, they can see that and they can completely reject me. And then I also had to send paperwork and my name hadn't been changed. And I crossed my first name out and they wrote to me and they were like, why is your name crossed out? Is this you? And I was like, I changed my name and you don't need to know what my name was. Other people wouldn't have to think to have to do that. That's really interesting. Okay, so the transgender community, as you have shared, is getting a lot of attention in the media, but I'm sure some of it's being misrepresented or misunderstood. How can you help add to the conversation in a way that makes it more authentic and real? I feel that there is a lot of attention being paid to disadvantage, lack of opportunity, um, kind of this narrative around suffering and struggle, which is real and it's true. I feel it is time for more stories, more voices about thriving and happiness and joy. You know, like I said, there's this common narrative around, I was born in the wrong body and I struggled and I suffered. And I feel like it garners like a sympathy rather than being put upon or like, I feel like it's important now for people to just be talking like, hey, I have this amazing career and I also happen to be this thing. That you had a great life before and you have a great life. Yeah. Now. It's not like my life sucked and now it's totally yeah, different. I had a great life. I did wonderful things. I had wonderful experiences. I had hard things too, just like anybody else. I had breakups. I got fired from jobs, but it had nothing to do with my identity and I, I wasn't suffering and struggling in this prison or straitjacket of a body. It just started to feel a little less comfortable. So then I made some changes and I feel more comfortable. And I feel like it really got to the point, it was a flip of a coin. I was 35, 34 years old and I was like, am I this thing? Should I do this? Sure. Why not? My body's going to fall apart at some point. I have tattoos all over it. Why not just have fun with it? <laughs> so that, that was, was it. it. That was it. It was like getting a tattoo. <laughs> it, it really was. I was in therapy. And, I, and I, I said to my therapist, listen, I've been in this body for three and a half decades. How am I supposed to tell you that it's wrong and that this is going to be right? And she's like, I don't know. How, how are you going to tell me? You know, in true therapist form. And she's like, Dylan, 
I have two questions for you. She's like, you have tattoos all over your body. And I was like, I do. She's like, that's permanent. I said, you're right. She's like, what is that? I said, it's self-expression. She's like, great. So you would make a permanent self-expression change to your body. I was like, good point. We just had Elizabeth Gilbert on the show from Big Magic. She just wrote this book. And yeah, she just, in her book, wrote about how there's this woman she knows who has a lot of tattoos and she keeps like collecting them. And they're not this big life-altering choice. She kind of just adds them when she feels like it. (laughs) So Elizabeth asked this woman about her choice to do it. And she said, well, these are temporary tattoos or something like that. And Elizabeth's like, no, they're not. (laughs) You just went to the tattoo parlor. She goes, this body is temporary. I am not going to be in this body forever. So it's a temporary body. Therefore, the tattoos are temporary, which is kind of an interesting analogy to what you just shared. Yeah. You know, if it was getting to the point that I was feeling so uncomfortable, what would be the point of preserving it? And if having this surgery and changing my voice was a way for me to finish the rest of my life with this you know, awesome adventure, great. I love that. Also, she spoke about how there is martyrdom and tricksterdom. And martyrdom says, I have to be put upon. This has to be a sacrifice and a struggle in life for any specific thing there might be out there. And maybe there's this martyr story of a transgender community. That doesn't mean there haven't been terrible things and judgments and things that have been torturing people by the ignorance or hate of others. So I'm not to try to wipe that under the rug. But she also said there's another way of looking at life in terms of if your experience hasn't been torture and terrible to say that how can I trickster my way into this? How can I do this with joy and play and enjoy the experience rather than use this idea of being a martyr to validate my actions? Exactly. And I think that's available to anybody. Someone asked me, that's great. You're great. I like you so much. Someone someone asked me, what do you think the sole purpose is of transgender people? And I was like, I can't speak for anybody. Else, but <laughs> That's a big question. I know. And I was like, I can speak for me. And I can say that, yeah, maybe it's about self-acceptance. Maybe it's just have fun while you're here, man. You have one life. You have a body. Treat it the way you want to treat it. That makes you happy. And that's not going to be hormones and surgeries for everyone, right? That's not going to be what makes everyone happy. This isn't to say that you have any um, disrespect for people that don't want to do that. It's just for you, this is what you wanted to do. Totally. Have you ever had any moment of regretting it? There was a moment... I didn't have the moment physiologically where that was another question my therapist asked me because I was having a hard time deciding. And she's like, Dylan, close your eyes. She's like, three months from now, do you picture yourself saying, man, I really wish I could wear a bikini top on the beach. (laughs) And I was like, um, no. She's like, okay, we're good. It wasn't like a, what have I done? I can't believe I did this to myself. It was more, I did not know what I was taking on of the social significance of being a transgender person and how much it would alter the career path I had started. Oh, that's perfect. That was my next question. So how did this decision affect your career? Up until this transition, I was a very friendly, relatable, Ellen DeGeneres with brown hair type person who was a health coach. People would even say, you look like Ellen DeGeneres, even though I look nothing like Ellen DeGeneres. (laughs) I had like the little faux hawk thing, like little standing up thing in the middle, you know, and people were like, you're a health coach and you're kind of like this queer female who wears men's clothes. Cool. Once I did this, it was like, oh my God, talk about that. And it was no longer talk to us about kale, talk to us about being a healthy person. It was talk about being transgender because that's what we want to hear. And I felt conflicted because I was like, well, maybe that is why I'm here. I'm supposed to be this poster child and talk about this all the time. I realized I didn't really want to. 
I didn't really want to be talking about all the stuff we just talked about. <laughs> yeah. Well, more like the social justice issues. It's like, I don't mind speaking to them in a very generalist way, but I didn't want to become this expert touring the country talking about these things. I wanted to do different work. And I finally came around, and after sitting and sitting and sitting with this, I finally came around to like, this is my message. I'm a health coach. I'm a company consultant. I help make healthier workplace cultures. And I do that as an out transgender person. Has it affected the customer base in any way? (sighs) No. If anything, it's only drawn more people to me because I think what they're drawn to is the authenticity, the way that I'm like just truly being myself. And that's why... Some people will mistakenly think that I work with lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender people because I am this identity. They'll think, oh, you're that thing, so you work with those people. And I just redirect them or correct them and say, no, that's actually not my market. That's not who I focus on. And the people who are drawn to me are anyone struggling with being their authentic self, like out in the world, whether that's a career, if it is a sexual orientation, if it's leaving a marriage. My clients make major life changes. That's who my people are. I love that. So what internal doubts or resistance are you currently facing in your life? Because it sounds like you're in a great place, but I'm sure everyone has stuff that they're working on. What are you working on? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm more intimidated now about finding a partner because it would take a person with a very sure sense of self to date a transgender person. How's it going? I left a relationship that took a long time to leave and I was in a really intense kind of like grieving and mourning period. Like I I took a major time out because I needed to for myself and I'm not scared so much as I'm just kind of curious who will be the awesome person who can kind of like, you know, and also the fact that I am a character, right? (laughs) I mean, my, my identity aside, like I can be a handful. There's just like those everyday worries of who's going to want to put up with this, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) So we'll see. I wish you all the best in that area. So last but not least, what would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey? Of gender transition or just a life transition? Both. You can speak to them separately if you have different things to share. Don't try to do it alone. Like just instantly get some support, whether it's friends who listen or my preference is experienced professionals. It is really hard to make a major life change just alone. I did not do this alone at all. Give yourself the opportunity to get support and get help to come to a clear answer about what you need to do. And my next piece of advice is to take impeccable care of yourself. I know that the reason I was able to make the gender transition halfway through my business while also starting graduate school was because I was a health coach, because I knew how to take impeccable care of my health, my mental and physical health, that I was able to do something like this. And I don't know how people do it who don't take care of themselves as well. It can be a less rough ride. <laughs> Does that make sense? A less less of a rough ride. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Dylan, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a joy to have you here. Thank you. I've really enjoyed the conversation. You're pretty great. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And Dylan, thank you for coming on the show. If you would like to send Dylan a message, you can do so on Twitter or Instagram at Dylan DG. And of course, if you want to find me on Instagram, Twitter, or Snapchat, you can find me at Jess C as in Chai Latte Lively. And for show notes for today's episode, hop over to JessLively.com slash Dylan D. Giovanni. And now for a sneak peek. 
Next week on the show, we are having the one and only Isabel Fox and Duke of IsabelFoxandDuke.com talking about intuitive eating and how we can intuitively eat during the holidays. Isabel is a riot. I had so much fun having this conversation with her. It's a fun conversation whether you're interested in intuitive eating or not, and I cannot wait to share it with you. Until then, may something wonderful happen to you today. 